Hi there, welcome along to this week's High Performance Podcast. You know, we're an awful lot more than just a podcast. You should really subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Um, Hit the notification bell while you're on there. And as soon as extended, updated interviews with all of our high performance guests go live on YouTube, you'll be the first to hear about it. You'll see and hear things there that you won't see anywhere else. There are millions already watching, so feel free to get involved. Of course, The true anchor of what we do is this podcast and we would just love you to be heavily involved with what we're doing. So please share a review, send us your comments, rate the podcast as well. We don't just want this to be Damien and I talking to you about high performance. We really want this to be a high performance community. So please just get in touch and be part of the fun. Um, I also want to shout out Lotus as well. Without Lotus Cars, we simply couldn't make this podcast. And they put a lovely video up on their Instagram a couple of days ago. Head over to it. They're at Lotus Cars across social media. And it's all about their own high performance story. So I'd love you to take a look at that as well. Lotus, thank you so much for helping us on this podcast. Now on to this week's episode. We had a message in from Daryl, he said, hi there. I just want to say this podcast is fantastic. Kudos to all involved. I've listened to most of them and I'm inspired every time. Can I be cheeky and request a guest? Boxing promoter, Eddie Hearn. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by his mindset and his outlook on life. All the best, Daryl. Daryl, for you and for everyone else, here's a little taster of what's in this week's High Performance Podcast. Yes, I've got passion for what I do because it's my family business. You know, my dad built this from nothing. So as far as I'm concerned, you can't with us and nothing will stop us and we will not be beaten. So there you go. You ask and we deliver. This was a really interesting conversation that Damien and I had. We felt that after about 10 or 15 minutes, the showman maybe disappeared and the real person stepped to the fore. And I think that we... We went into places that Eddie hasn't talked about too often. So I really hope you enjoy it. It's time for this week's hit of motivation, this week's high performance podcast, this week's guest with Damien and myself is Eddie Hearn. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey and you're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet and aims to unlock the very secrets to their high performance life so you can do exactly the same. Now, it's impossible to do a job like this on your own. Thankfully, Professor Damien Hughes is alongside me and Damien, you grew up in a boxing household. So this is going to be an interesting one for you. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this. I think um, our guest today is somebody that sort of walks that tightrope between having to be a promoter and be a showman and yet actually have real substance to build a business and deliver a successful product. So I'm interested in finding out about that dichotomy. Okay, well, let's do it then. Let's uh, welcome to the pod a man who we both think is fascinating because he always seems to have a plan. We often talk on the High Performance Podcast about not looking to blame people or not attributing fault. Instead, we always use the phrase, take responsibility 100% of the time. And that's exactly what today's guest does. Even in the strange COVID times that we've been living in, 
he's found a way to keep on putting on shows, to keep on delivering entertainment and to keep on delivering headlines. So let's delve into his mindset and work out just how he does it. Welcome to the High Performance Podcast, Eddie Hearn. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to have you with us. Let's start as we always do then, Eddie. What is high performance? I think high performance is about consistency. You know, it's about being at the top of your game. I just wrote a book on everything you just said, basically. And it was like therapy for me because I think the only way you can achieve high, high performance is to have a passion for something because you need that relentless drive and that spirit and that work ethic to continuously be at the top of your game. It's very tiring to be at the top end of anything, you know, or to continuously have that drive. But when you have a passion for something, when you have belief and purpose and point, the work seems seamless. The last two years of my life have been a, a complete roller coaster in terms of just putting the hours in, putting the hard yards in, putting the miles in, transatlantic every week. Just And people would say to me, how do you, how do, you do it? And the way that I did it was because of the passion that I had and the fire I had in my belly every time I woke up. And you can't do it without that. You know, it's impossible. You know, we have a saying in our family, no passion, no point. And that basically means that if you don't want it, if you don't believe in it, if, you, if it's not driving you every single day, high performance is impossible. It, it really is. So before we start, you have to almost strip things back and say, I need to find that that desire. I need to find that purpose in my life because you can't just create it. You know, you can't trick yourself or fib yourself into it. It's something that has to come with from within. And before you talk about positivity, relentlessness, work ethic, mindset, it has to have come at that underlying passion beneath it. So the people who are listening to this podcast now and they think, oh, you know, my life is sort of endless struggle. I really want to be successful, but it's constantly battling, constantly struggling, not getting a thrill. They're perhaps putting in as much effort as you are, maybe even more at times. But maybe the issue is they haven't found their passion. It seems like for you, the absolute crux to all of this is it has to be something that you're passionate about. And if you're finding you're struggling without the joy, maybe you're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in playing the hand you're dealt. You know, everybody, everyone has a different background. Everyone has their different struggles. You know, for me, I was born into a very successful working class East End family, you know, almost like a first generation of a guy who come from a council estate, did very well, made money. And I was lucky enough to be brought up in that environment didn't stop him drilling working class mentality into me every single day of the week. But that was my hand. How did he drill that mentality into you? Because it was just the will to win. You know, it was never giving me, he was petrified growing up that I was going to be the kid that he hated growing up, which was the silver spoon. <laughs> we all, I mean, we all think win. that, don't we, about our Yeah, kids. I know. Yeah. But we joke now, you know, he, he still calls, calls me silver spoon, Does you he? know, and we joke Does about he? it. And he, but you know, I'm a silver spoon kid because I was born into a wealthy family. But the difference is my dad was from a council estate in Dagenham. Through growing up, nothing would ever come easy. And now I talk about this in a book where I was saying like, you know, as a kid, when you talk about parenting, if I went to play cricket, he would say to me, good luck. And I would come back and I would go, how many runs do you get? And I'd go six. And he'd go, oh, come on, son. Come on. You've got to do better than that. Not. How'd the team get on? Hmm. You know, oh, well, at least you tried. You know, you, you took part though, son. You know, just, you know, it, it's everything has always been devoted to winning, right? It doesn't matter whether we're playing cricket in the garden. I would be eight years old playing in the garden. He would never go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, lob one up for me. <laughs> when I hit the ball and he was bowling full tilt, it's because I deserved it. 
he would never, ever let me win. And when I started beating him, it's because I was good enough. It's because I deserved it. It's very difficult being someone who's raising kids in that kind of environment, I think. Because, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is bring up a kid that doesn't understand the value of money, respect, manners, mindset, work ethic, you know, all these things. But when you go back to your, your original question about people who feel like they're stuck in a rut, people sometimes define success in so many different ways. As you get older, you realize success is not about the bottom line of a balance sheet all the time. You know, that's just a target for me. It doesn't matter where me and my dad sit down at the start of a financial year and say, you know, okay, the target is a million or a hundred million. That's just a number. You know, what comes from there is the desire to hit that number and win and hit targets. That's the challenge for us. So I don't think people need to get lost in the idea of success. You define success yourself. Success is what gives you fulfillment. The easiest way that I find some kind of sort of strategy or balance in what I'm doing is to focus on the short-term goals and the short-term strategy. Too many people, you know, those people that you're talking about there will look at and say, oh, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I need to be here. This is where I need to be. But they're forgetting about the bit in the middle. You know, they're forgetting about the day-to-day -day bread and butter stuff. And that's the simple stuff that will get you to where you need to be. Eddie, can I take you back to some of those working class values that you said your dad passed on to you because I'm interested that you're a father now and that you're responsible for passing on values to your kids you spoke about your dad sort of despised that silver spoon attitude how do you avoid that with your own kids very difficultly uh, I have two daughters which is a little bit different I think uh you know you know I see them as sort of my little princesses you know I, I want to you know I work as hard as I can every single day so I want to I want them to achieve a great upbringing you know I want them to have nice holidays I want them to go to a great school for me the working class values and working class mentality the greatest people that I've ever met are the people that hold those very true to their heart like my mum is proper old school you know you gotta understand I come from a background where my my dad my mum puts the food on the table when he gets home from work and that's how it is she irons a shirt for him every single morning and puts it up on the door Wow. Right. Before he goes to it. These are all things now that almost sound, you know, sexist, yeah. if you like. But you have to understand that's that era. Right. And it was never strange to anyone. But these are that this is what we do. This is, We're a family. This is what we do. So I think as a parent now growing up in that kind of environment, I can't expect my kids to be normal because they don't live a normal life. And I didn't live a, a normal life growing up. And I struggled at school. You know, looking back, because, you know, I might be in New York at the weekend watching Nazim Hamid, you know, and floating around and walking his belts out at 13. Yep. And then I fly back and then I'm at school and this teacher's saying to me, do this and do that. And I'm thinking, go, who are you? <laughs> you know, and that's when I look back, I hate that. I, I, you know, that makes me feel, uh, you know, really frustrated that I was disrespectful. But I had a chip on my shoulder because I was always Barry Hearn's son. You know, so when my kids go to school, I know that the kids are going up to them saying, oh, you're Eddie Hearn's daughter. You're Eddie Hearn. And people don't realize, go, but going back to playing the hand you're dealt, everyone has their own struggles. You know, for me, I never had to struggle about money. But what I struggled about was trying to create my own identity and my own purpose without just being Barry Hearn's son. And how did you do that? Because I imagine when you, like now it's okay because you're Eddie Hearn and he's Barry Hearn. But when you first started, mm. you would have been 
oh, that's Barry's boy. How did you go about saying, no, 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 I am Eddie and this is, this is what I stand for? It was just, it was having the chip on my shoulder and it was having the drive. And you only realise it when you get older that actually the main drive for me and the reason I do what I do is, one, is because I have a responsibility to continue the legacy that my father built within this business, which is everything to him. But two, to achieve my own legacy and my own sort of identity as an individual. You know, I had um, Frank Lampard on my podcast the other day. He was in the year above me at school, at my school and or our school and he was always frank lampard's son right because his dad yep. played football he was good at school he was never you know messy but all of a sudden he got into west ham and all it was was oh you got your dad got you in you know your dad got you in and when i spoke to him the other day it was the same kind of thing where it was like that drive the only way i can get credit myself is to take this thing to another level but the working class mentality going back was always like it was almost like you know, if things start getting a little bit tougher, you wake up an hour earlier, you go to bed an hour later, right? You don't stop grafting. So can I ask another question then, Eddie? Because one of our guests that we interviewed recently was um, a guy, uh, Fred Doan, yeah, who's yeah. made the, uh, Fred, the Bet Fred yeah. Empire. Yeah. And one of the things that he said was that he almost pitied lottery winners that because there's no sense of achievement in, in, in earning all that money. So it was almost like the mental leap you have to make is, is pretty significant. So for you, when did you feel that you'd made it on your own terms rather than you just inherited that empire? I'm quite pessimistic and I'm also my biggest own critic. So I still, you know, I don't look back at what I've achieved so far and say, wow, I've cracked it or, you know, I've made it. I feel like I'm at like 30, 40% of where I can get to or where I need to be. But that keeps me on my toes. You know, again, Fred, Fred is a you know, proper old school working class guy who, you know, people love in the industry because he made it from nothing. He created that himself. And sometimes I think the only bit of jealousy I have, I can't really call it regret, but is that I didn't get a chance to have a crack from nothing. You know, sometimes I look at my dad and we're walking around his house and he's got hundreds of acres and he's looking around like as if, you know, 72, as if to say, I can't believe this. You know, you don't understand where I come from and I've got this. I can't get that feeling because I've always mm. come from that. But that's the drive for me. You know, we, we, we're a family business that started in a, under a snooker hall in Romford, right, with two employees. So we got to a level where we were like a huge, you know, national company. Now we're at a level where we're a huge global business, you know, people trying to buy us, people trying to get us to float on the stock market. And now it's like we've got to just decide what we want to do as a family. But we've reached the heights together, me and him, that he never expected. You know, and, and before I got involved, as I wind him up, we were a, a successful business, but we were nowhere near the levels that we're at now. So that's my sense of achievement. When we did Joshua Klitschko at Wembley, now that was probably one of the points where 90,000 people, biggest fight of all time in Britain. People were coming up to me saying, oh my God, I've been to Ryder Cups. I've been to the Wimbledon finals. That was, that was best. You know, there wasn't one point during that night or even after that night where I sat down and said, wow, you've done well there. You've cracked it. And I guess that's a little bit sad, but actually Lampard said that the other day, you know, Lampard said he won a Champions League. He did this and he never once sort of sat back and said, Oh, you're the man. It's dangerous, that mindset. Yeah, think, it is. It? But I guess that maybe that's common with a lot of people. You've got to be a little bit careful because I think you don't want to get to a stage where you're 80 odd and you're sitting back and going, blimey, I didn't really enjoy that success, you know? And I, I, I don't know. 
I just um, I find myself always pushing, 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 pushing. You know, you set yourself a target. You think if I can just get there and you get there and then you go, OK, well done. Now this it's great to be in the hustle, but you just got to you can't be in this rat race. And I think it's what lockdown showed you when people just step back out of the bubble a little bit and go, wow, because I think a lot of young people who are doing well have that push, 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 push without thinking about, you know, your family, your kids, your life, what you're doing. Can I ask you another question then, Eddie? Because one of the things that intrigues me about you is that is, is the, the, there's all these kind of social media things of, that are associated with you being the showman and being the promoter of some of these big fights that you do. And yet talking to you here, there's real substance in terms of how you built the business and the drive and the relentlessness. How do you find that balancing act between being a showman and giving good copy to the media, well, but actually then nailing it in terms of delivery? I think the most important thing for me is to be remembered as a great businessman, operator. I guess you can put showman in that bracket as well. Um, when the meme stuff come out, you know, there was a guy called Andy who works for the NHS and he sent me a direct message on Twitter and he said, look, I've seen a lot of your interviews. Do you mind if I sort of run this Twitter site? It's going to be called No Context Hearn. And, and I was like, yeah, mate, like how big could that be? Anyway, next thing, they've got like <laughs> half a million followers and it's literally everywhere. I mean, my kids are coming up to me saying, Dad, you're on TikTok. I'm like, what? And it's a meme of me doing something. So that's great because I am a showman. But, you know, that's also why I wanted to write a business book because I don't want to just be a meme. You know, I want to. I don't want to be yep. remembered as a, just a joke. Like, yeah, he was great. He put a smile on. But, but that's the issue you've got, though, Eddie, is that when you're standing in the ring and you're calling out another fighter to come and fight, Anthony Joshua, there's millions of people seeing that moment. When you're on TikTok or when you're on Twitter, mm. there's millions of people looking at it on their phones. When you're sitting in a board meeting and you're making serious, heavy business decisions that could change the fate and the future of Matchroom, no one sees it. That's the challenge for you, I think, is to, to tell that part of your story as well. Maybe you don't want to tell that part of your story. Maybe. Well, I just think Jake, as you get older, you get more comfortable in yourself and you say, well, yeah, I don't feel like I have a responsibility to tell my story. You know, I want people to know what makes me tick and what, what gives me that fire in my belly. But at the end of the day, you can judge me how you want to judge me. You Do you know, care what people think of you? Not anymore. Not, no, not really. I think I did. When you say not anymore, there, there was a period when yeah, you Yeah, a long time. Yeah, but I think I was insecure. I think like growing up, I was Flash Harry, right? I was obnoxious at school, but I was definitely insecure. You know, and I think that goes back to, oh, you're Barry's son. And I didn't think that at the time. You know, and I only think that now because I look back on my life and think, you know, because sometimes I think to myself, how do you do what you do? Or why do you do what you do? Where does this come from? Like at school, I was never, you know, I loved school sport yeah, I put 120% into that but it wasn't like I was this kid at school that was like driven for success so have you answered that question then where this drive comes from yeah to, I think it's just wanting to create my own identity and but where does that come from though from that comes from being a successful person's son but it still comes down to what we talked about earlier the passion you know the drive I want I want this so bad like you won't beat me and I won't be outworked and that's the difference, because if you're good and you refuse to be outworked, you're actually unbeatable. I want to talk about the importance of hard work because I think it's the root of everything. Before we do, just to rewind a minute or so, you used to worry what people thought of you. You don't now. There will be people listening to this podcast who it is a daily struggle for them being judged by other people outside forces. 
What tools or tricks did you employ to get yourself to a point where all that matters is what you think of yourself, not what other people think of you? That's a very tough question, and I don't think there's a quick fix to that. I think it has to come from being comfortable within yourself. You know, and I don't know the answer to that question because, you know, we live in a world, you'll get it all the time. Mm. I get it all the time. You look on, so if you actually read through social media, how can you have any confidence? Should we discuss then what each of us think of it? Shall I tell you what I think of it when I see it, when I see the criticism that comes my way? Cool. I think, well, I don't know what you get, but all I get is he knows nothing about football. He's a smug twat. Um, And I think that... My my response initially, I hated it, and I was desperate to show people that I did know about football. So I started asking longer, more involved, more convoluted questions to the guys on the show, using information from like the history of football. Thinking I've got to prove to these people that I do know about football, and then I started worrying about making sure I didn't come across as being smug, right? And it got to the point where I would be sitting on live telly, about to ask a question to Paul Scholes or whatever, and I would think. Oh, hold on, what are people on Twitter going to say about that if I drop their joke in? Or like, I remember having mm. a laugh with Steven Gerrard about the slip against Chelsea. And I wouldn't do that again because the amount of shit. <laughs> yeah. I was like, excuse me, Steven Gerrard doesn't need you lot to look after him and defend him. Like He is big enough. And he, if he can laugh with me about slipping against Chelsea, I'm sure that you can as well. But I did get to a point where I was self-editing before I'd ask a question, which I think is a dangerous place to get to. And eventually... The, the sort of thing that made the change for me, um, well, there was two really. The first one was people that decide to send me really, and you'll get it as well, horrendous, abusive, nasty, mm. obnoxious stuff. I now understand that those comments are all about them and absolutely nothing to do with me. And also, I've just created a sort of circle around myself of people that know me, know what my life's about, know what my job entails. And I will absolutely listen to those people and I will take on board what they say. And if you're just some guy... It honestly, it doesn't affect me at all. Mm. I'm almost like, bring it on now. Yeah. I'm almost the total opposite of what yeah. I was. It is, yeah. it is quite strange. Yeah, I said to my dad the other day, because my dad was like, <laughs> he's on Twitter and he just, he's useless. And he's like, this geezer, right? He's saying to me, he's talking about the darts, right? And he's <laughs> saying, and I've replied to him and I said, but, and then he come back and he, I said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You know, and actually <laughs> when you think about it, like it's hard for us because the interaction that we have with fans is actually one of the reasons why we, we're so successful because yeah. we are accessible. You know, it's not some bloke in the office running my Twitter account. It's me. But at the same time, you can't, for everything that you're putting in, how can you let that direction be altered by some yeah. bloke? But it still hurt. You know, you can't, it doesn't matter whether some bloke's achieved nothing. I wouldn't say, if you were walking down the street and some bloke come up to you and said, oh, you prick, fucking what? You know, you're going to chin him. Yeah, but you can't do that. And I think actually when I look at social media, I look at Twitter now particularly, I think it's a terrible place to be. You know, and when we talk about, I was going to post something the other day. I do actually sometimes go to post stuff sometimes. Like this is probably what you say. You shouldn't do. And I think, I type it out and I go, oh, do you know what? I'm going to leave it because you know what's coming back. And it was about mental health, right? And it was like, if you're struggling with mental health, I really think the first thing you should do is delete social media. It is so toxic. I mean, Instagram's all right, you know, but Twitter is so toxic. I mean, is there anything but bad news or negativity anywhere? Every now and again, you might see a nice post, right, that makes you go, oh, you know, makes me feel warm inside. But basically, if you are not mentally stable or you are struggling or you, what is the point 
I've got to the point where I quite like the criticism now. I saw a quote about six months ago. It said, to take the stones they throw at you and build a monument with them. Does it bother you? Does it hurt when you get the criticism? Not really. I, you know, in boxing, boxing's got one of the most hardcore sort of fanatical support groups. Yep. And they just sit on there all day. Literally, I'll put a post out now. I'll have three replies within 10 seconds going, you're shit, you're this, you're that. And I think, wow, that was quick. Like, how'd you do that? And then that's again when you start analysing things, going, well, actually, they're just sitting there. And by the way, some are trolls. You know, some are put in place by other promoters, other, you know, yeah. we get that quite a lot now. So I think you can't take it too seriously. But if you're frail or you do, you don't, you know, then you have to come off. So can I ask you a question, Eddie, that builds on it then? Because I'm interested in terms of, you've mentioned the box in there and we're talking about how these opinions are almost magnified or distorted. How do you deal with sort of deluded fighters? You know, when you're working with these guys that have got sort of an inflated sense of how good they are or how popular they are or how much they're worth, how do you deal with them? With transparency and honesty. That's quite difficult because, you know, boxing's quite transparent in terms of your value, right? You either sell tickets and put bums on the seats and people tune in to watch you or people might pay to tune in to watch you or you don't. So they're the only factors that represent your commercial value. You know, we have this argument quite a lot now with women's boxing. I've sort of championed women's boxing for many years now, and we've got it to a point where it's in such a great place, you know, the likes of Katie Taylor and, and et cetera. And now it's like the call of women should be paid the same as men. And I go, well, no, women should be paid the same as the men in terms of the value that they represent to the sport and to the business. When we talk about quality, quality is not a gift. Equality is something that is, is a level playing field. If Dave, the world champion from Birmingham, sells 10,000 tickets and sells 50,000 pay-per-views, then Terry Harper, the world champion from Sheffield, a female world champion, sells the same, she should make the same money. You know, I have that conversation 10 times a day that you just said. You know, X wants 200 grand for his fight. How do you work that out? Yeah, but you're in an interesting position though, Eddie, because you're because you've got to go out there and tell people how great they are, and you've got to sort of build up a reputation or an image for these fighters as their promoter. And yet, privately, you've then got to say to them, "But you're not there yet." Or oh, yeah, but you just have to. I think honesty. I think honesty in all walks of life is something. And, I, and again, that comes down to when you get older, when you get a little bit more comfortable with yourself, you don't have to tell lies. You know, I mean, I can't remember the quote. I know it was Oscar Wilde, someone who basically said, you know, I love being truthful because I don't have to remember what I've said. Right. And that, that comes down to being comfortable in, in what you do and what you say. You know, the business that we're in is very transparent in terms of the, the value that you deliver. But some people don't see that. Some people don't understand that. And it's just a communication thing. It's a relationship thing. Yeah. You know, and it's having the trust of someone. And sometimes you build trust with clients you know, Tony Bellew is a good example of someone that you know, we worked together for so long that in the end it was, Tony, this is what I think for your next, what, just whatever you think, just let me know I'm fine, right? Not how much am I getting? I deserve this. I, it just says I, I trust and believe in everything you do for me. So personal so, relationships are really important for success. For yes, you, absolutely. But also that belief that someone has in you for me is probably the biggest motivator so if I've got that relationship with you and you're telling me you are the man that I trust with everything in my career, 
right? I can't tell you that how much that inspires me to do a great job. Anthony Joshua the same. You know, he'll still make the decisions, but ultimately says, you're the man. I, I trust in you. Have you read a book by Bob Iger, the CEO of, the former CEO of the Disney Corporation? No. What is really interesting, he said his superpower is only making decisions that he absolutely believes in, not decisions that will please the board, not decisions that will please his wife or please other people, making sure that every single decision he can, he doesn't need to convince himself. He knows it's the right thing because that means if it goes wrong or it doesn't go wrong or when people question him about it, it's a really easy answer because he's like, I fully, wholly believed in what I did. And mm -hmm. I think you have to have the confidence that you've now obviously gained over the last few years to make those kinds of decisions, even when maybe even your dad is going, that's the wrong call. Mm. You have to believe completely in that decision. Yeah, you have to You have to be able to stand by it. I mean, I'm still a bit of a faffer sometimes. You know, I feel like I I'm should surprised sometimes. surprised aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think sometimes I should pull the trigger a little bit quicker on stuff. And sometimes I'll overthink menial things. You know, I might, I might go out and do it, you know, do the, you know, I don't know, looking back, we did... Frotch Groves at Wembley, you know, when we did that fight, it was like no one's ever sold more than 16,000 tickets and you want to put this fight in an 80,000 national stadium. But when I walked through the players' tunnel, I just went, we're doing it, right? I know we can fill this place. But on my other stuff, I, might, I don't know, it might be the design of, you know, some artwork for a show where I'll, oh, no, this needs a little bit more darker colour there. And, you know, and then I find myself going, what, what are you doing? Are you a control freak? Yes, yes. But I think when we talk about the expansion of the business, when I started the boxing division, we had two people in it, right? And we did everything. You know, we did the poster design. We did the fighter contracts. We did the TV rights deals. You know, we did the health and safety. You know, we, we went to the arenas and signed a contract. We, we looked at the hotels. We booked the flights, right? Yep. And as we expanded, it was, it was difficult for me to let a lot of the things go that I felt I built my stamp on what we're doing. So I don't want to give it to you to do it because you don't understand my my mindset. Not not in terms of the you know the work ethic, but the vision I have for this sport. So that's been a big challenge for me is to build the right team of people that you can delegate to. You have to focus on the bigger picture and you have to build a team of people around you. And when I go back to fighters making me feel motivated when they give me the responsibility that works in the same way with the workforce you know my dad has always drummed into me the importance of looking after your employees you know and and your and your team you know financially you know creating a fun work environment because all those things we go back to your first point about you know anyone listening to this who's just in a job they don't really like and can you think of anything worse than going to a job and rocking up at nine o'clock just thinking, I don't want to be here. I have no future here. I'm unhappy. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And that's something, a matrim that we try and create, whether that's coming to live events, whether that's a gym and a pool at the office where we can motivate people, whether that's team stuff together, whether that's giving people bigger bonuses or sharing in the profit of the business. But most importantly, the greatest feeling for an employee is getting the responsibility from your employer to run with something. And I try and do that all the time. We never recruit at a senior level. All of our senior level operators have come from 15, 16, 17 year olds who started at work experience at Matrim. They've been there 15, 20 years now and they're all senior level guys. So what do you look for in them then, Eddie? So if someone was listening to this, what is it that you would try and observe and find out about them that you would then bring them into your empire and trust them? I don't want to give too much advice because I don't, I think every, every person is different. Every employer 
is different. Everybody looks for different things. For me, it's about the energy and the purpose, you know, and I'm not saying this is how it should be done, but I honestly know whether I'm going to employ someone with probably within about five seconds of them walking into the room. But if you could articulate in that five seconds, what is it that you would see or feel that would give you that confidence? It's no science. It's almost like a sparkle in the eye. It's the belief and the purpose that you have. Listen, of course I read CVs. You know, of course I want to make sure that I'm not employing someone who's just turning up on the blag. You know, but it's someone that comes in with the desire, someone that says to me that I'm willing to do whatever it takes. You know, not the person that asks, like, how many days do I get of holiday a year? And, oh, I'm actually an hour and a half away. So do I have to be in at nine every morning? You know, now I'm thinking, could you please just leave? Well, it comes back to the passion thing that you spoke about right at the very beginning. Maybe if they don't have your passion for it, then... But it's, diff- but it's difficult, isn't it, to have yeah, the passion of something that isn't yours, yeah, yeah. right? Yes, I've got passion for what I do because it's my family business. You know, my dad built this from nothing. So as far as I'm concerned, you can't fuck with us and nothing will stop us and we will not be beaten. But how can someone who just is a part of that feel the same way? And we have got people at our business, you know, probably a dozen of these people that feel like, you know, someone tweeted the other day, I've been here 10 years now. This feels like family to me. Oh, that was, that was, I mean, I don't know whether they meant it or not, but what a tweet to put out. We were like, me and my dad were like, yes, let's promote this individual. But it's got to take over your life. Like what what I say to people, you can't live a normal life. If you want to get to the top here, you've got to make sacrifices. You know, you're going to be working events at weekends and you're coming back in on Monday. We don't have days off in lieu or, you know, I can't be at that event because I'm going on holiday. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to make sacrifices, sacrifices that will make you unpopular indoors, right? I do it all the time. And sometimes you're in a position where it's like, you want to be a good husband. You want to be a great father, but you also have to be so selfish sometimes and say, I'm sorry, I love you more than anything. I have to do this. This is too important to be missed. And those sacrifices, you know, being away from home, missing birthdays, whatever it might be, you don't want to be an arsehole. But you have to understand that to achieve greatness in business, you have to make fundamental sacrifices. And sometimes you'll sit down with someone and they will tell you that I will do whatever. You know, talk is cheap. You could sit down in, a, in an interview with an employee and say, I will do whatever it takes. You know, I'm, And then you find out this person doesn't quite have the substance. But it's just something that engages me to say, you know what? I like I like you. You know, I know you're bright. I've seen your CV, but I like you. I think you're going to go the extra yard. Wait, just give us an idea, Eddie, for people at home. They want to set up their own business. They want to live a life like yours. They've got ambition. How hard do you work? There isn't a second in the day where I'm not thinking about the business. From the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I go to sleep, and very sadly, I will wake up in the middle of the night. Last night was a good example. I went to bed at, I don't know, 11 o'clock. I woke up at 1.43. And I checked my phone and there was a load of emails coming in and WhatsApps from our American business. And for the next hour and a half, I did emails. And I, you know, and it, it's not like I know I shouldn't do it and I know I should turn my phone off. And I know, you know, but I want to do it. Well, right. Like you and this is getting you love it. You enjoy it. Yeah, but that's it's the difference, work. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I know. But that's the difference. You know, everybody knows the famous day when you find something you love to do, you'll never have to work another day in your life. Yeah. Right. But if I was doing that at 1.30 in the morning in a job I hated with people I didn't really want to work for, then I would be so un- unhappy. You know, I would have no choice but to, you know, then you're not doing it 
for the reasons that will make you great. You know, you're doing it because you have to do it. And for me, the last two years, you know, I would fly from, I don't know, we'd do a show in LA and I'd fly on Sunday back to London. I'd go straight to Manchester for a press conference. Then I'd come home. Then the next day I'd go up to Scotland or wherever it is for another press conference. Then I'd come home and then I'd fly to New York. Right. And then I'd go there for three days and then I'd fly back and then I'd go to Liverpool or wherever we're staging a show. You know, it, it's just and in the meantime, when I get home, my wife will say to me, here you go, darling. Here's, the, here's this little thing called the kids. Off you go. <laughs> but can I ask you about that, Eddie? Because I love hearing about that sort of hectic schedule. Would you tell us about how you manage those relationships with your wife and kids that they understand that and still and you're still able to be a good husband and father? What's that private conversation like? I think when you marry into our family, you know, the the Hearns, you sort of have to un- I think she knows me inside out. You know, she knows that it is so important to me and she knows that you know, the, the business, the family business, the legacy that he's created is everything. And she'll hear from him a lot, you know, on a Sunday. And it's just, sorry, it's almost like, sorry, dear, this is what's got to be done. You know, that's how he would talk to my mum. And my mum, you know, has accepted that over time, you know, and it works. You know, don't, don't always think that being at home nine to five, you know, coming back, doing the same thing every day, routine with your missus, you know, is the basis of a great relationship. I mean, we have a great relationship because when I see her, I'm excited to see her. It's, you know, it's fresh. We've been together for over a decade and married, you know, and it's like, yeah, we get back and oh, I'm back. Right, let's go for dinner, you know, and we've actually got stuff to talk about. The harder thing, I think, is the kids, you know, I think, because when I'm back, if I put 110% into my work, I put 220% into the kids, right? And that's that makes the whole process even harder because if the tank was empty when I got home, you know, now I'm being, you know, I'm getting home. I've landed in the morning from LA. I've gone to Manchester. I've driven back and it's seven o'clock and I want to go to the park. And then they want to go and run around and they want to go on their bikes. And then you get to a stage where now you just can't sleep. I think it goes back to parenting, like for my dad. If I said to my dad, oh, dad, you know, I'm so tired. Like I've got in and from LA and Liverpool. And then, you know, I've had to play with Ego to me. Oh, shut up, you tart. <laughs> That's what he'd say to me, right? <laughs> it would never be like, oh, you you know, you need to slow down, mate. You need to take a little breather. It would be, oh, shut up. Go, go, go to the gym and have a sleep and get up and get on with it in the morning. I feel like mentally he's probably the strongest person I've ever met. And I think it's so important to have fun, relax, not take yourself too seriously, not to overthink things. And I think his simplicity is get up. You work your absolute nuts off till you go to bed. And guess what? You wake up the next day and you do it all over again. If you had him on this mindset podcast, like he'd almost be like, guys, why are we talking for an hour about this? Just work your nuts off. What's the matter? You know, and it's you like, know what though? That, that, this is, we talk a lot, you know, we do talk a lot about mental health on this podcast. The best thing for my mental health is to be busy. And, to, and I'm not talking about just being busy work-wise, being busy with the kids, busy with my wife, busy with my jobs, busy with my businesses. It's when I'm not busy that I have an issue. Mm. And I think for some people, this just works. Just being relentlessly full on, that's mm. when I know that I am at my happiest and that my mental health is at its most stable. When Big, I, when it goes, it goes back to that sense of fulfillment, doesn't it? An achievement. And it doesn't matter what you're achieving. You know, like you said, if you're playing with your kids, if you're doing this, you're getting this project done, you've done that meeting, you know, you've gone to the gym. I've, I've achieved something today. I, I, I find it hilarious how people overthink things. I was talking to someone the other day. 
And he was like, you know, I was just, oh God, I'm just thinking like, what if that happens? I'm like, you're so far away from that happening. I mean, you've got so much in the middle. I ran a marathon once, right? Because my dad ran a lot and he always took the mick out of me. And I often liken it to running a marathon. You know, if you sit on that start line and you you think, right, if I just once I run through that, oh, imagine. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've got 26 of these little buggers to overcome, right? And every one is a short-term strategy, is a short-term goal, and is something to overcome. So in any project, in any straight line to, to success or fulfillment, you've got all these mile markers to get over. And guess what? If you don't get over mile marker four, you ain't getting it. And by the way, if you don't get over mile marker 25, you ain't getting there either. So don't worry. Don't overthink things. Don't keep things simple. Step by step, mile by mile. See, there's a writer called Ben A. Brown that talks about this messy middle of change, the idea that, you know, we remember the excitement of the start and the exhilaration of getting to the end, but it's that messy middle, that bit in the middle that where you're too far into go back, you're not far enough to see the end, where people get despondent, people give up. And I think what your great strength is, whether it's you describing that night at Wembley with uh, Joshua and Klitschko or the Groves and frock night that you get through that middle bit don't you i think your real strength is your perseverance to to keep going yeah because i think again that, that goes back to not getting carried away with yourself and just keeping your nut down and grafting day by day you know you wouldn't believe in a show like that how many problems you yeah. have to face every single day you know it could be someone fight on the undercards got injured or you know there's a secure in mean, before um before AJ against Klitschko at Wembley, I think two weeks, three weeks before was the Manchester Arena bombing, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, the challenges that we face there from a, from a, you know, protecting the public to security, to terrorist alerts, to policing, it was just, you know, it was so easy in those moments just to go, yeah, all right, let's postpone, you know, we can't, we can't, we just can't get this over the line. And I think what you talked about there about that messy middle, there are so many, how, how many people yeah. fail at the messy middle bit? I mean, what, 99.9%? How many people? Yeah, because people start off, you know, oh, I'm going to do this. Day. I'm going to, I see it all the time. Start a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, next thing, you know, oh, blimey. All right, you've got to go and get an accountant, right? You've got to file a VAT return, right? You've got to register the business, right? You've got to open a bank account. Now, all they're thinking about is, imagine when we're on sale. Oh, and people are coming in the shop. It's like, you do know, you've got a marathon to run before yeah. you open the shop. Oh, I don't know anything about VAT. Oh, I went to the bank and they're telling me it's going to take two weeks to open an account. Oh, actually, do you know what? <laughs> it's like, you're a dreamer, mate. And I think that that's the that's the difference between like go-getters and dreamers. And listen, sometimes I'll start things that I don't finish. It's not like I complete everything I set out to do. But I think, you know, another great saying is um, if you want something so badly, you'll find a way to do it. And if not, you'll find an excuse. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have a, have a listen, if you get a chance, to the interview we did with Johnny Wilkinson. It was the final episode of the second series. And he talks about in that just being totally in the moment, being present completely. And that is actually a really helpful tool. So when you're having this conversation with us, don't be thinking about that deal you've got to do or that fight you've got to organise. Be totally plugged in, totally engaged in this. And then when you're in that meeting afterwards, then you are totally plugged into that conversation about the fight. And then when your wife rings you to say what time you're going to be home, you're totally engaged with her and then engaged with the kids. It's such a powerful tool because then you're so in the moment, you're so engaged with everything and everyone. You, you, it's a completely passionate way of living, which I think is what you've spoken about a lot. Yeah, that is difficult though. It is. Because I do yeah, find, I, yeah. I, do, I find myself, you know, I'm, I'm, my mind's a little bit over, all over the place where sometimes, you know, I have to be honest, I've had a couple of conversations in this part where I've gone, oh shit, you know, mm. I've mentioned something to you and it's reminded me that we've got to announce that fight today, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. So it's very difficult. Was that, and I was think that, that helpful that's a great, though? Yeah, but that's a great mindset of relationships with your family because sometimes my wife will do it all the time. She'll go, right, you know, I went up to school today and I spoke to him and, you know, they're turning and, I, and I'm, I'm going, right, okay, uh, oh, I've got that conference call at nine o'clock. Oh, oh. And she'll go to me, yeah. what did I say? I said, sorry, what's that? She goes, what did I just say? I go, about, about, about the school. What about the school? I'm like, oh, and she goes, you are just, you know, you're away nonstop. Can't you just listen to me for five minutes when you're home? I'm like, yes, sorry. Recognize, recognize no. this conversation. I know, I know, I know. But it's like, again, when you're so, you have to be obsessed. You do have to be obsessed with what you're trying to achieve. And it's difficult because, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah. But it's always like, can't you handle that? And let me just go back to work. That's just what I've got to do. You know? But going back to the social media thing we spoke about earlier, Eddie, just when you mentioned that line there about being obsessed, my mind immediately went to some of the criticisms that we've had on social media of people that have heard previous guests feel that when they talk about obsession, that we're advocating it. And therefore people say, well, that's not a healthy mindset to have. So what advice would you give to anybody about managing that obsession? Because I think that's an important point that just not letting mm. it run away out of control. I, I think, I, th I think it is dangerous. I think you just have to accept that having an obsession can't give you the perfect life. It can't give you the rounded light. You know, you can't be a great husband. You can't be a great father all of the time. You can't be a great person. You can't be happy all the time. You can't not be rude at some point, even if you're, you know, one thing I hate more than anything is people that are rude to people. But sometimes, you know, when you're so blinkered by everything, you probably are a bit rude and arrogant. I, I don't think there's any way around it. I think it is dangerous. And I think you do have to be careful. And I think, but there's just no, you know, I, I don't, I've never met an obsessed, driven individual that's just great in every way. Like, who is great in every way? So who calls you out on it then, Eddie, then? So I'm going to guess your dad is one of them, but he almost suffers from some of the same drives that you do. So who do you listen to that when they call you out and say, Eddie, you need to wind your neck in here, that you sit up and pay attention? I think probably the missus, yeah. I, do you know what? My mum. 
as well. You know, my mum my, my is so brutal, so brutal. I mean, I was around there last night and she went, I watched you on League of Her Own the other day. You are so fat. You've really put on some weight. <laughs> you know, and I was like, mum, you are so Lovely. brutal. There's right? my mum. You know, like I'm, I'm 42, but I know, you know she's right, right. Yeah. And she wouldn't say it if it were. And I'm like, yeah, I know, mum, you know, but actually I've, I've had COVID. So I've actually lost 10 pounds. So it's like, it's a good news. You know, I'm a, yeah, no, no. So I saw you get up to, I think you were kicking a football. I thought, look at his belly. I was like, oh, you know, but that's like, that's our family. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like, like my dad will say to me all the time, don't get carried away. Don't, you know, don't, but almost like, don't believe the hype here. I'll go, dad, you know, we've done this, I've done this deal and we're doing this fight. Oh, well done. And we'll do the show. How good was that, dad? That was unbelievable. But listen, just stay calm. That's always been sort of bred into me. So I'll never feel like I'll get too big for my boots or like start swanning around thinking I've cracked it. And actually, I think if people knew how, how big a critic I was of what I do, then not saying not saying they'd feel sorry for me, but they would be quite surprised because they think they do. The perception is, oh, he's you know showman, flash Harry. Look, oh yeah, you know big show, big crowd, razzmatazz. But actually, it's like I, I, I'm definitely my own biggest critic, and I'm and I'm actually quite pessimistic. But I think that pessimism comes with just trying to manage disappointment because there there won't be a day when I wake up where there isn't disappointment on my phone from something right could be hi sorry you know i know we thought we had a deal but that fighters choose to go chose to go somewhere else sorry it's off you know or oh so and so's failed a drugs test that fight's off you know or, so you don't allow yourself to get too high with the highs or too low with the lows right that's right yeah yeah i think that's important yeah. i think that's really important because you just have to try and stay balanced and consistent you know emotion is draining and that also goes back to what you said earlier about twitter you know, where, where you said, you know, yeah, I feel like throw stones at me. You know, it's like, mm. okay, I get that point. But just be careful that you're not using emotion because emotion's draining, right? And we mustn't use our emotions on things that, that don't affect our journey, right? So like those, those outside people on social media, they shouldn't even be anywhere near affecting your energy or your emotion or what you're thinking. Now we know it exists, right? And everyone deals with it in different ways, but I joke with my dad all the time where he says, oh, you're so lucky with social media. When I was doing shows, we'd be out underneath underground stations in the East End, fly posted, right? Now you've got the ability to interact with customers in your hand. It's so true, isn't it? And I said, yeah, but dad, you would do a show and you would go, that was the bollocks. And then you'd go and get a curry and have a few beers. I do a show and I've got a million people giving me their opinion. There's only one way to avoid criticism, right? These are the words of Aristotle. Do nothing yeah. Say nothing, be nothing. The yes. choice is yours. I think I know which yeah, I like one that. you might yeah, choose. Yeah. I like that. Um, I like that. We're almost out of time. A couple of things I just want to run through with you. Um, you spoke about the fact you're jealous of your dad because he built the business from scratch. And, you know, there is that element where you've inherited something and you've done brilliantly with it, but it's not necessarily yours. So what's your approach to risk taking? Why don't you go and set up a business totally separate from boxing, totally in a different world and test yourself? I think we, we're going to do that. I think we've done it. I mean, I think, you know, when I took over boxing, boxing was dead. He'd given up, really. He moved to darts and he said, you know, I don't think it has a future. So, you know, I run with that. I believed in that. And, and that was my little project that, you know, again, I feel like I've done 30% of where I need to be. You know, my th- there's a lot more coming from me, you know, outside of the comfort zone and that will surprise people because I want to push the boundaries. But I'm not, I'm not reckless. 
you know, although again, we go back to the showman and the big mouth, you know, I know what I'm doing. I know how to plan a business and plan a strategy. And my dad's a chartered accountant by trade. And that's something that's always been filtered into me by him as well. We know how to run a business. So, you know, you get to a period where, you know, back in February, we were talking about opening offices in Sydney and Hamburg and Toronto and, and launching a global expansion and matron boxing. Then the pandemic hits. Luckily, over the last 10 years, we've built huge amount of cash reserves, huge amount of credibility and stability to be able to ride these waves. My favorite quotes, when you go back to quotes, is from Warren Buffett, who says that when the tide goes out, you get to see who's swimming naked. Yes, Warren. Right. And what that means is, is it's fine. Listen, when everything's going well and the market's strong and everyone's buying, you know, spending money on TV rights and the crowds are flying in, you ain't got to be that great. Now you've got to be great. You know, for anyone listening to this as a business owner or someone that's looking to make their mark in business, if you thought it was tough before, it's going to be 10 times tougher now. So you've got to be smarter. You've got to put more work in, but you still comes down to having that passion and drive and thinking on your feet. And, you know, the only thing that matters is that you are happy. But for me, happiness comes from, of course, being happy at home, but also having a sense of fulfillment, of achievement. But don't be too too caught up in, oh, achievement is making millions and millions and having this and that. No, achievement is waking up and being comfortable in yourself. Final one that I want to talk about before we get to our just a few quick fire questions is failure. We talk a lot on this podcast about having a really comfortable relationship with failure. The only way for you to know your limits is to fail at times. Are you comfy with failure? Do you like failure? Do you seek it? Do you fail often? There'll be people no. listening to this who... Yeah. Don't dare make a big decision because of the fear of failure. I definitely hate failure. I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter whether it's, again, playing a game of table tennis or whether it's staging an event. You have to accept that it exists. You know, and, you know, again, we've done plenty of sayings in this one. You never lose, you learn. So as long as you can learn from, from what went wrong in that moment, but also treat it like a sport. You know, treat your business and treat your life like a sport, right? You win and you lose. As long as you give everything, you come on that pitch. You know, you're not always going to get the pats on the back if you lose. I didn't. Coming through, you know, we talked about it earlier. We joked about it earlier. But understand that the wins will be so much more sweeter. I don't think you can accept failure. I don't think you should accept failure. You know, I think you have to have the mindset of, say, failure is unacceptable. But you have to understand that it happens. And when it happens, we learn and we brush ourselves down and we go again. But also, the way you handle anything in life becomes less brutal if you like the more you experience it right so when i did my first press conference at boxing with Aldi harrison and david hay i was sitting on my hands because they were shaking so much right and i stood up and i was talking you know like this and i yeah this 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 and i was like wow you're really confident up there you're a great talker i'm thinking mate you should see my hands now i've done a thousand press conferences i could go out there and speak all day with no script right if you're walking out to, to a fight and you're a fighter the first time you walk out in that arena you know, the tenth time you walk out in that arena, just another day. You know, and and people who are, have longevity in business and in life have experienced loads of different failures. If I'm sitting next to my old man at a boxing show, when AJ got knocked out at Madison Square Garden by Andy Ruiz, I was like, you know, almost like dad. He's like, listen, son, get in there, take it on a chin, bounce back. Right, okay. You know. Uh, then I walked back to my hotel through Manhattan at four o'clock in the morning. It was three miles. And I was just thinking, where do we go from here? And the next day we wake up, right, let's get this rematch sorted. Let's get back into camp. Let's win. And when we got the victory, oh, I was so sweet, you know, because you remember the pain. You have to feel the pain of failure. If it doesn't hurt, it don't mean enough to you. 
Right, we've reached the, we're nearly at the end. Quick fire questions, Eddie. Um, the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and all the people around you must buy into. Good energy, hard work, and a smile. I hate miserable people. You know, I hate, I hate looking at, but I hate bad energy. Sometimes you, you're around people, again, throwing his name back in the hat, Anthony Joshua. I'll sit down with five minutes with him, mate. I feel on top of the world. You know, if I'm feeling a little bit, oh, I'm tired, I'm sit down, his smile, his energy. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yes. So being around good energy is so important to you. If you're around misery, this goes back to social media, come off it. You know, you don't want to be around bad energy, misery, moaning, negativity, bad news. How can you possibly come through that if you're feeling a little bit frail? It's true. What advice would you give a teenage Eddie it's just starting out on his journey? I would say be a good person. I would say respect your elders. I would say have manners. And I would say work as hard as you can. But I would also say let nature take its course in terms of your path and your career. But I would say stay consistent. I think that that's the key. You know, the, the thing we see time and time again of people who are have been at the top for a long time is consistency. You know, do the right things over and over again. Make the right decisions. And again, this goes back to people who, you know, you said earlier, might, you know, might be listening to this, struggling. Just keep doing the right things. The door of opportunity is always closed. But someday, if you consistently do the right things, they will open for you. And then you've got to be good enough and you've got to be ready to walk through it. How important is legacy to you? It's, it's everything because you have to leave your stamp on this world. You know, when you're laying there and you're about to leave this this earth. I want to have a funeral, right? Where people go, he was, you know, he was this, he was that, you know? Because that's where actually, you know, you've left your print on the world. You know, sometimes you go to a funeral and it's packed and it's like, not everyone loved that person, but they respected them, you know, and they had an opinion on them. And they might say, no, I, don't, I don't, I have no problem if someone turns around and says, you know what, that Ern, he was, he was a flash. I didn't like him, but my God, was he good. You know, that's good enough for me. That's okay. As long as someone has the ability to talk about you. I think, I think it's sad to leave this earth without making a statement or without making your mark on something. So last one, Eddie, what's your one golden rule to live a high performance life? I think it goes back to the question you asked me first. Um, no passion, no point. You know, have that fire in your belly. The only way you can achieve that. There are so many things that, you know, equate to high performance you know you've got to be good enough let's not kid ourselves here you know i mean if you're no good at, at what you're doing but you have a load of fire in your belly it you know it's still going to get you further than than it would if you didn't have it but you have to be good at what you do you have to perfect your your trade and your craft but you have to have the energy and the passion to strive every day to be better to improve so high performance is about hard work it's about passion it's about skill and it's about consistency. I think they are, they are the elements, and I'm sure there's more, but they're the main ones that stand out to me to maintain that, that performance. How do you keep that performance high? And stay healthy as well, by the way. You know, I think a healthy lifestyle is so important. Although my mum is telling me I've put on a bit of timber, I do work out, I do try and eat well, mum, if you're listening. You know, and, and, and that's important as well because health is very, very important. And we're seeing it now more than ever. You know, people coming out of this pandemic, the ones that it bounces off, you know, it might, might be asymptomatic, you might get a bit lucky or you get it and just had a bit of a cold, really. Good. The ones that have lived an unhealthy lifestyle, 
you know, haven't taken care of himself, might take six months to recover. So you have to, you have to be prepared for battle. Eddie, thank you so much for your time. No worries, it's been guys, a really it. interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, I think we found an Eddie Hearn who is as driven as ever, is as passionate as ever. I love the fact you only feel you've got 30% of where you need to go. But I also think that we've probably found an Eddie Hearn who is a lot more humble than 10, 15, 20 years ago. For sure. And I think sure. um, it's a really good combination to keep the passion, but with the with the humbleness. Good stuff. I've enjoyed it, guys. It feels, feels like we've just had an hour of therapy. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Eddie. Damien. Jake. I think, as I said to him, he is a different Eddie Hearn to the one that we would have spoken to possibly only five or six years ago. He is more humble than he's ever been, I think. Yeah. I only think, just, though. <laughs> yeah, a bit. But I think what really intrigued us in that was, I think about 20 minutes in, he dropped the showman facade of the promoter, the guy that talks a great game. And we actually saw the engine underneath that, the, the hard work, the willingness to go the extra mile, the sacrifice, the passion. I think that was where that interview got really quite interesting. And I think it's a really important interview as well, because I think we live in a world now where we don't see the truth, whether it's looking at various news outlets and wondering whether we're really being told what is going on, whether it's going on to Instagram or other social media sites and thinking, hold on, is that person really that happy? Do their photos really look that yeah. good? Is their life really that perfect? I think we look at Eddie Hearn and we see the hilarious memes on No Context Hearn Twitter page. We see him standing in the ring, the king of all these surveys with boxers fawning around him because he's the deal maker and fans calling his name and he's wearing sharp suits or he's driving a smart car or working in the nice office. That is also not true. The, the true Eddie Hearn, as we had today, is a humble, hardworking bloke who asks questions of himself all the time, who is stressed out by social media, who knows he's got the constant balancing act between business and children, who has to take risks and then he wonders whether it's the right thing. He admitted to us that he dithers and he doesn't make swift decisions. But amongst all of that, he seems to have found a place where he is comfortable. And let's give people the message that Eddie Hearn's not perfect. No one is perfect. Life isn't perfect. That's okay. Yeah, exactly. There's a concept that's um, sometimes referred to as the Ebbinghaus curve of forgetting. And this is an important thing to remember that when we look at somebody's career like him from the outside, we think of the start of his journey and we think about the outcomes of all the successes that you've just described. But the bit we forget about is the middle bit the hard work, the graft, the work that goes on in the shadows. And I think what intrigued me there in Eddie's conversation was his appreciation for that middle bit. We called it the messy middle. And that's where he really goes to work and comes into his own. He said he gets his nut down and just cracks on and works harder than ever in those middle bits. It's like doing the marathon. You know, he used that metaphor. You've got to tick off mile four, five, six, right the way through to mile 25. And he doesn't forget that bit. He's not blinded by the bright lights of the outcome. Interesting stuff. Yeah, fascinating. Damien, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Jake. How are you? Yeah, I'm in really good form. Thanks, mate. Do you know what? Um, since the Stephen Gerrard episode went up a few days ago, the number of people, I think people have always shared their thoughts and we've always generated a really nice conversation from this podcast, but it's kind of gone through the roof in the last week or so, hasn't it? Yeah, I think people are, are really listening. And I think, again, what came across to me in comments was people enjoyed his honesty. He wasn't, we didn't just speak about the highs of Istanbul and, and the FA Cup winning performances. We spoke about 
the difficult moments, the struggles, the anxieties that he's had. And I think that, again, humanises them, makes them realise we're not just talking about success, we're talking about the failure and the journey along that along that route. Mm. Right, let's talk about the struggle then, because I think at the root of this high-performance podcast, for me anyway, it comes from periods, some of which I've spoken about, some of which I still haven't really, but periods of real struggle where the only thing that gets you through that is resilience and mindset and self-belief. Now, I know that when you talk to people about, oh, self-belief is really important, a positive a positive mindset is never worse than a negative mindset, right? Yeah. So sometimes it's harder when people are feeling down or life is a struggle or they are plodding through. I mean, I, I had one person, let me just find this um, message that came into me this week. It was on Twitter, actually. And it's from someone who who I've I've met in the past and I, I know relatively well and we follow each other on social. And they, they put out a message to say, Jake, your wisdom comes from the fortunate perspective of security and success. And I think that is a that is completely missing the point here, that my perspective comes from struggling and battling and having a really difficult time and then managing from that to create security and success. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, very much. I think it's often referred to as, as a survivorship bias. So people that have been successful then offer you clues on the basis that, that they got through it. But there's lots of people that work hard and don't have that kind of success. But I think that, again, does miss the point that that we're not just talking to these people about what what is successful. We're talking to them about the difficult moments, those dark times, those blemishes. You know, like if we go back to mm. the start of season two when we spoke to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that I think where that really came to life in our discussion was when we spoke about Cardiff, the perceived failure of him being sacked as head coach of Cardiff and what he learned from that and the honesty that he said that he'd tried to be somebody that he wasn't and he'd failed mm. being a, a pale imitation of somebody else, to me, was actually a really powerful learning for anybody, wherever they are. And this is what's key for me, right? And this is a message that I think is sometimes hard to hear, but I believe that this is at the root of everything that we're doing, right? We are not saying that the things that we hear from our successful high achievers on the High Performance Podcast are 100% going to make the people that listen to this podcast a success, right? Yeah. But I absolutely, without doubt, believe completely that thinking you're not going to achieve something, having a negative mindset, feeling like a victim, blaming outside influences, not thinking it's going to happen for you is definitely definitely not better than just believing like and I sometimes think people are so wary of just believing that great things are going to happen they almost can't get themselves into that space but if you can get yourself into that space it's still no guarantee but I think it moves you a hell of a lot closer to the success a hundred percent I think I use a phrase frequently I talk about success leaves clues and I think we're not offering um, some kind of blueprint, like you say, but I think we're offering some of the clues that make you successful. Like that phrase about, does 100% belief in your success mean that it will happen? No, but 100% belief it won't happen pretty much guarantees a failure. But also, how can it ever be bad to think I am going to be massively successful? I am going to achieve all my dreams. I am going to live the life I want. How can that ever is that is there some element of that that's unhealthy maybe there is and i'm missing it i think there's something around some people can be delusional 
the example it offers, if you think of like the early stages of talent shows like X Factor or Britain's Got Talent, part of the amusement is watching somebody that can't sing, believing that they're on a par with a singer like Mariah Carey, because that is the delusional factor that uh, that makes us laugh. But do we believe that if you've got some level of ability and a passion and you adopt these principles of having a belief and an optimism and a resilience, is that going to improve you from where you are? Absolutely. But talent will get you in through the door. The rest of the stuff we're talking about helps you improve and go further. I'm a strange mix though, Damien, of someone who is an eternal optimist. I believe that brilliant things are around the corner for me, for you, for the people I know, my family, my kids. I, I just can't allow myself to think negatively because that's happened in the past and it is horrendous. But at the same time, I still think I'm crap every time I come off air having done a, a football programme and have to sort of call my friends and say, oh, did you see this? Did you see that? Or I think that I get my parenting wrong almost every day of the week or I see opportunities that I missed or um, like many other people, I look at other people's success and think, oh man, they're really killing it. I need to get some of that. It's a kind of weird dichotomy that, isn't it? Yeah, but I think that's a, a superpower. I know that's a phrase we use a lot on this, but I think that self-awareness that you have to be able to go back and analyse, say, when you've done a TV job, but then believe that next time I'll be better, keeps you going back. So you've got the humility to go back and work out what did I do well, what could I have done better, but then the willingness to put yourself out there to get better next time. I think that's the beautiful combination. So it's not just believing that everything is great, accepting that sometimes it isn't, but it will be better next time. I think that combination is, is, is like I say, a superpower. And I think that's the point that we try to get over to listeners that does shit happen? Yeah, of course it does for everybody. But optimism gives you the belief that it will get better, that the storm will pass, will come through it stronger and more durable because of it. I am an optimistic realist with a sprinkling, a healthy sprinkling <laughs> of self-doubt. How about that? (laughs) It's not as catchy, but I think it's actually (laughs) a a far more effective strategy for for the success and the journey that you're on. So you don't want to rename this the Optimistic Realists (laughs) with the Sprinkling of Self-Doubt podcast? No, I I think that's probably right. Um, Look, we've had loads of people getting in touch. Once again, can I just remind you that it makes a real genuine difference to this podcast when you rate and review it. It's free. Um, we love the fact that you get it for free. We want you to get it for free. But if you could just leave us a review or rate the pod, it makes a huge difference to us. Um, Sam got in touch to say, I'm a newly qualified teacher in East London. I found it difficult at the start, but through the podcast, especially Lampard and Sean Dyche, there's been so many helpful tips on how to work and live. Alex said, I want to say how much I love the high performance podcast. I'm training to be a commercial pilot. I've tried to use as many tips and advice that your guests have shared to help me try to perform at the highest level. I love the Phil Neville episode. We've got a message here from Agalipo in Perth Say, hey lads, Alex here from Perth, Australia, many miles away Your podcast reached me and I'm so grateful for that I found inspiration in every single podcast And all the different perspectives from all of the individuals So keep up the good work Um, You and I love the people from all walks of life Getting getting inspired by the podcast I think that's, let's be honest, that's why the two of us do it But what's been nice this week as well is the number of professional sports people and professional sports teams that have reached out to us. Yeah, brilliant. The, like the one that really sort of gave me a buzz was uh, hearing Anthony Joshua completely unprompted, having the conversation with Thierry Henry and talking about some of the lessons that he'd learned. So he wasn't 
prompted by us to advertise it, but he was talking about some of his experiences and his appreciation of what elite footballers have gone through based on... And you liked the thought that when he's in the ring, under the lights, thousands of people in a world title fight, one of the things that he's done in the shadows to prepare for that moment is is listen to this podcast. Yeah, that we played, that, that listening to our conversations have been a part of his whole training preparation, that that to me is a... Is, is really humbling, but really exciting as well. Because if he can learn from it and he's a champion of the world, that that therefore opens the way to say anybody can be prepared to listen and learn from it. I had a nice message from uh, Jacob Murphy, who used to be at Norwich. He's now at Newcastle. He's, he scored a good free kick against Wolves on Monday night. And then Tuesday morning was messaging me to say the lads in the Newcastle dressing room are listening to the pod. Brilliant. And Dale Stevens gets himself yeah. a move to Burnley. Um, and... What he said about the pod was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, so he spoke about the fact that he didn't know Sean Dyche, but by listening to the podcast, he found out something about what type of man he was, what type of culture he was creating at Burnley and the standards that were non-negotiable in his world. And there was a compliment there. There was a cultural compatibility he felt with the person he was and the manager he was going to go and serve under. So that made his mind up to to go and meet him and sign for them. Love it. Um, Damien, thanks so much, mate. Listen, let me just remind you that if you're new to the High Performance Podcast, then we're now in the third season. You can go right back to the start of the very first season and a really um, disarming conversation about life, not about football, with the former Manchester United player Rio Ferdinand. Of course, you can also uh, find us on Instagram. Damien is at Liquid Thinker. Let me tell you right now, if you follow one person this week on Instagram, make it Damien. His daily drops <laughs> of inspiration. Oh, even I wake up in the morning, I'm straight on, at Liquid Thinker on Instagram. Instagram. What's Damien got for me today? Um, you can find me at Jake Humphrey and we're building a lovely community as well of, of people who have this high performance mindset and you can find the podcast at high performance on Instagram. Let me just remind you one more time um, about the YouTube channel as well. We would love you to come and check out the videos on YouTube, long form versions of the podcasts. Um, you will see and hear things that you don't hear on the podcast episodes. So subscribe and also hit the notification bell on YouTube to get the very latest episodes on there. Of course, huge thanks to Lotus Cars for being our brilliant sponsors. Big thanks as well to Finn Ryan at Rethink Audio for all of his hard work on this podcast. Every single Monday, In Your Inbox drops the High Performance Podcast from myself and Professor Damien Hughes. And our only aim is to inspire you, uplift you, and just make you think that whatever it is that you want, you can go and achieve with the right mindset. What is it you always say, Damien? High performance matters? A lot. There you go. We'll leave it there. Damien, thank you. And thank you for listening to the High Performance Podcast. See you next Monday. 